So, uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're here with another round of civil discourse. This is not a safe space. Not a safe space at all. I want to welcome you. I'm Charles Frederick Secrees. And of course, I am joined by my, my illustrious uh, co-host, Dr. Michael Conagher. Wow. Ah, illustrious. That's that's quite the superlative. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I think I want to talk about something that, that is going to be a little bit controversial here, Charles. And No, and- wait a minute. Wait, you want to bring up something controversial in this, this I, podcast? I think this may be the most controversial episode yet. And and, and the reason why is I, I'm going to skewer a sacred cow today. Okay. Let me sit down first here. I don't, you know. Okay. <clears throat> I'm wait, pour myself a drink here. Uh-huh. I hope it's a good one because right. I think, I think it's time that we talk about the warfare state and the ramifications of the warfare state. I just and, I just did a spit take off off uh, microphone just for those who are wondering. And I want to talk about it from the perspective of a military veteran who would be me and and uh, who I actually am a member of the VFW and a combat veteran, uh, though nobody ever shot at me. Full disclosure. Nobody ever shot at me. So I think uh, it's worth saying that, um, first of all, yes, right on a uh, great topic and a lot to unpack there, you know, uh, all of human history, maybe. Um, and I like that, uh, that you brought this up, Mike, because we've had a couple of conversations on this topic and in some cases we, we haven't completely seen eye to eye about, uh, the substance of, of the historical, uh, you know, incidents of war such as it's been. And so I'm really interested in sitting here and, uh, and listening with a different perspective to to what you're you're thinking. So let's get and this into is, it. This is one of the issues where I outflank you on the left. <laughs> and so I'm not uh, sure you do, but but I'm going to let you just ride that way for a minute, and uh, and I'm going to say, I am I am pretty much, uh, and, and I'll just a full disclosure right up front. I'm going to lay out. I, I'm going to be the guy who, when you play spades, put the ace of spades and the king of spades on his forehead. That's me right now. Um, and, and so I'm going to put it right here on my forehead. Unless you're defending your soil, you are wrong. And we disagree about this. How we don't disagree on that. I think what we disagree on are some, some impetus is uh, some prior war and what was the mitigating causes behind it? That's where we start to disagree because I think pretty much my theory has been all war, whether they call it religious war or whatever war, it's all about money. It's always all about money. And I think you can always trace your way back to money. I would argue power, which, which which (laughs) of course money is very much part of that uh, umbrella, but so far we're not apart. So keep going. Well, and I think the other thing that I've always noted is it always depends on who is going to your power. It all depends on who's in power, which political party backs the war. And I've always found that really interesting because I'm against your war, but I love my war. Right. We, we see this over and over in not just American history. We see this in European history. We see this in African history. We see this in uh, Asian history. Uh we see this this pattern repeat over and over. I, I like my wars, but your wars are all wrong. And so uh, I, I would really like to just unpack these ideas of 
of what is a just war, and maybe we can talk a little about Thomas Aquinas and, and uh, uh, St. Augustine, uh, but if we don't want to go down that path, what is a just war? What does it look like? And what are the uh, ramifications of uh, opposing um, war when it's popular with society? And, and I particularly want to talk about maybe the Gulf War, uh, the second Gulf War for a little while. So I, I, I want to, cause I'm a word person. Okay. And I think the words we use, the specific words we use come with certain meaning and understanding. And there's an interesting thought here about the difference between the word war. And I'm not talking about a uh, political distinction, just as a concept, the difference between the word war and the word conflict. And I, and, 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 you know, in the context of war, if I say the word conflict, we might be, people say, well, Vietnam, right? That wasn't technically a war because we never declared it was a conflict. Well, if you were in it, it was a war. It was a war. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And if you were living there uh, as a citizen of, of the country, it was a war happening around you. Um, uh, assuming you weren't uh, taking up arms yourself. But there's an interesting thing here that I struggle with taking the ideal of, of conflict. And you talk about your conflict or your war versus my conflict or my war. What is important to me as opposed to what is important to you. But there's an interesting thing. And uh, if, you've, if you're new to our show, you should know. I think we have to put these cards on the table. Uh, Mike and I are not just uh, hosts of this show, but we are friends and we are family. Right. So um, I, you know, I try not to ever admit that in public, but I've done it here. <laughs> just did it. We have it on tape. <laughs> and so I think it's important when we think of things on a global scale a national and international scale that we try to boil it down to uh, schoolyard rules, because I think that pretty much on the international scale, things operate on schoolyard rules. I mean, how many times I'm not talking to you because you're not talking to my friend, so I can't talk to you. That's literally what leaders in this world say to each other. And we see this behavior pattern over and over and over in history yeah. where, uh, and we've seen it very recently with the current conflicts that are going on uh, where folks are refusing to talk and uh, people are dying. Absolutely. But let me ask this question again, let's boil the big picture down to more on an individual level. So you said in any circumstance other than defending my own soil, right? Right. I don't disagree with with your sentiment there. I start to wonder about the details. You and I are friends, you and I are family. And let's go as far as to say we're neighbors. Okay. Somebody invades my home, is attacking my family. Me, Charles. Right. Your brother. Right. You, you know the answer to this. You already know the answer to this. This is a setup. <laughs> You're damn right it is. Um, I, I understand that. So, but the question, but, well, well, the question is very simple, though. Okay. 
what do you, being aware of what's going on next door in my home, uh, and perhaps knowing that I am ill-equipped to a certain degree, I'll fight tooth and nail, but I just may not have what it takes with these particular assailants. What do you do? Well, of course, you know what I'm going to do. And, and that's a non, that's a non-negotiable. But this goes back to a very flawed human being in our history who warned us. And, and by the way, I'm not a huge fan. And, and now I'm really controversial of him. I, I think he's admirable, but I don't think he's the perfect human being we've been told he is. Uh, George Washington, who talked about <laughs> entangling alliances. Do you be, have friends on the global stage as a nation? And and it, and I sh- to be fair, I'm I'm drawing I'm a, a very simplified relationship here. Um, you know, obviously, you can't compare uh, two people's individual relationship apples to apples with two nations. So there's much more detail to be dealt with there. But I do think there is a substance argument to be made. And and I'm not saying that we just rush into every situation. I'm not saying that. But there is suffering that happens with people who are, why is my neighbor's kid less worthy of my involvement to defend and protect than my children? Because they're your children and you're charged to defend your children. But aren't, aren't we all, if, we, if, if it takes a village to raise a child... Aren't we all responsible for the safety of each other's kids? I would argue that that's a degree. Uh, it, it's the changes of degrees. And, and so I'm going to, you know, you're making me get really philosophical here. That's the idea. But, but we have these circles of control. And, and in our circle of control is our, our immediate circle of control is our immediate family, wife. No kiddo, argument. No argument. That's my first circle. My second circle. And I think most of us is then our family, which includes you in my second circle. So now I'm in that second circle. I'm going to add the, family and friends. And, and I, that would be my third circle would be the friends. You know, at, at my second most important uh, obligation is to the second circle. My third is to my friends. And some of your friends will move into your family circle. Let's just be transparent about that. Uh, Carl Groves and I, Carl is in my second circle, though we share no blood, uh, period. So, you know, and then you go out to the fourth and maybe the fourth circles, your local neighborhood or your community that surrounds you. Your and then, village. Right. Your right. Tribe. And then you go to your fifth and maybe it's, it's your schoolmates and, and uh, your, your coworkers or whomever it is. And you're, but you know, soon you're maybe at your city level. And at some point those circles get so huge, your obligation becomes less and less with each, with each circle. And I get what you're saying. I do. I get it. And we watch Ukraine on the TV and, and we're outraged by what we see and should be innocent people are dying who, who aren't involved in these political conflicts. All the while, the same thing happens in Yemen. And all the while, a government we support, who's our quote friend, is perpetrating that war in Yemen. Well, well but, but here's the thing. You've changed topics there. And here's why. Oh, but, here's why. No, no, no argument. But here's here. Now you're talking about uh, motivations, you know, political motivations. And I completely agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I know you do. I, know you do. <laughs> I mean, why? I'm putting you in an, uh, an unenviable position, aren't I? <laughs> no, not at all. Because I think this this is something we need to be thinking about. Um and I completely agree to you. We value certain life 
more than other life. And, and I'm talking about humans. I'm not talking about dogs and cats over b- I, children. I, 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 I'm talking about within our human species, certain tribes that we somehow are able to justify as not being part of our own uh, politically or in power or religiously or ethnically or whatever it is that we use to justify they are not part of us. We are able to... Uh, to somehow morally justify our indifference. And I'm not even going to pass judgment on that because I think it is very hard to take a stance, a very clear position on this uh, in, in either direction. It is a murky place that we live in this world. So I get that, I'm not justifying it. Um, but there, there's, you, as you were talking about your circles, and, and with every widening circle, the sense of obligation diminishes um, to some degree, whether it should or should not. I don't know. And, and I would say it also diminishes differently for different people. Of course it okay. does. Of course it does. But how do you define where the line of obligation should stop? At what point is my cir- have I circled out far enough as an individual and then you know, zoom in, zoom out further as a nation. And I guess that is the root of this conversation. And so, um, you know, politically not being a lover of great republics or our great empires. Um, and I'm not, uh, I, I, I wonder when the circle gets so unwieldy that it starts to pose serious issues and serious problems. And, and before everybody gets angry with me, I'm not saying anything bad about any particular nation. I, I just, I, I wrestle with the idea of uh, my country being the quote world's policeman, but the world's policeman uh, exercises a, a great deal of judgment on what conflicts are worth his or her time and what aren't. And, and I'm, I've watched this most recent news cycle and I'm appalled by the idea that these people are worthy of our 40 billion with a B dollars, but these people over here aren't worth even a headline or even a third or fourth page story in the newspaper. A newspaper, by the way, for the young folks was an actual piece of paper. We got with lots of little stories, (laughs) but but, (laughs) it was black and white and red all over. Um, So so (laughs) to my point, I, I think what is it that makes this one okay. And this one not worthy of our interest. Well, let me ask you this question. And again, I'm asking questions be- of you because they're questions I ask of myself. Of course. It's in no way intended as, as an attack and on your position. we're not going to solve this issue either. We'll what tell are, you up front. That's we, the got, end of the we got 30 <laughs> minutes left. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can we fight every battle in the world? It seems to think we can't. Okay. Um, I thought he was saying yes. I, I didn't quite. Maybe I misinterpreted. Um, but, but no, this is a real question. Can we fight every cause in the world? Of course not. But if how do we oh, deem what oh, worthy oh, of no, fight? No, 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 no argument. But here's the question. If we can fight not every worthy cause in the world, should we then not fight any? I would argue yes. Interesting. Tell me more. I would argue yes. Tell me and more. I'll, I'll give you a solid historical example of a war where the United States intervened 
and literally destroyed the fabric of a society. And, and it's going to be an unpopular only one. Only one. I'm going to pick one. <laughs> okay. I didn't say I was going to give you only one, but I'm going to pick one. And I'm going to pick one that's so far ago, long ago, that there are no living veterans left uh, of that war. And, and that's going to be what we call the First World War or the Great War. And this was a, the First World War, I'm going to, I'm going to very much, I'm going to oversimplify it for the sake of this discussion. I realize we can make 50 episodes about this um, this war. Can, can I pause you real quick? And, sure. and, and I'm going to make a note here, World War One, because I want you to come back right there. But I know that some of our listeners are asking, especially if they haven't been with us since episode one, why do you have a voice in this in, 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 in a in a what's a dog in this fight? Is that what it's called? Well, um, and I, I want my, I want people to hear what your background is, you know, for so some perspective. I, I have I have 20 years of military service joined when I was 17. Uh, got out for three in the middle of it and, and retired at the age of 40 uh, as a senior enlisted, uh, what would be called a senior non-commissioned officer. Uh, I'm I'm the son of military veteran. I'm the grandson of a World War I veteran. I'm the grandson of a World War II veteran. My family did leave uh, Nazi Germany knowing there was a pending war coming. My grandmother was very smart. And, and so she thought it was a good time for a, her, her family to get out. Uh, they had come here, gone back and she said, I'm coming back. And, and my grandfather ended up following her back. So I, I have a unique perspective on war, I think, because of my family history uh, regarding it. Okay. Follow-up questions. Would you say your feelings about this issue um, were influenced by your time in service? Absolutely. Okay. S- second follow-up question. Had you felt the way you do today, when the time, the decision was made to join the service, would you have no, done it? I would not have joined the service in hindsight. Okay. And, and by the way, I joined the good service and I, I use that term in quotes. We, we all have a very positive uh, opinion of the Coast Guard. We see them rescuing people and saving lives. And, you know, we all love those videos where the kids sitting on the drug submarine banging on the hatch, trying to get them to open up or, or the jump, guys jump out of the helicopters to save people who are drowning. We love those videos. Uh, the part we don't talk about is the combat also uh, the, the combat role of the Coast Guard. I don't think most of us are familiar with the combat role of the Coast Guard. One of the five missions of the Coast Guard is to support the other four armed services, well, now five with Space Force, in combat. And so Coast Guardsmen fought in, in Vietnam. The guys who were my leaders when I joined were Vietnam veterans who, who'd been on the rivers in Vietnam, and they had a huge influence on me. So Coast Guard is not just guarding our coast, so to speak. As I've told you before, and you know my joke, they told me I was going to guard the coast. They didn't tell me what coast I was going to guard. All right. So, yeah. I I think that was important. I wanted people to be very clear on what your background is. Now, you were on World War I, so go on. I am on World War I. And I think if you study World War I, and I'm not going to do it justice, we can, you very quickly realize these were a bunch of cousins having a family squabble. Yes. A family squabble that led to millions of deaths. And we know that Germany and the Austro-Hungarian empire were basically sitting at an impasse with the British and the French and some other powers sitting across from them. When the United States and decided to enter the war and through the balance of power to the British and the French. And essentially, uh, Germany had to sue for peace because they had been blockaded and they were starving to death. 
that's the actual what really happened was civilian people were starving to death because of this war. And what happens in the aftermath of that war is there's a peace that's sued that is completely and totally onerous on the German population uh, and the Austrian population. Which directly led to the rise of, of the Nazi. And, and that's where I'm going. So yeah, our yeah. intervention in that war leads to the rise of the Nazis. And so we end up with a much more brutal and horrible result where now people are being exterminated. And, and there's no nice way to put that. They were being exterminated. Not just, not just Jews, but gypsies and homosexuals and Catholic priests who didn't agree with the war and et cetera, et cetera. We can, there, there's anyone who didn't fit the mold of a good German was being exterminated. Uh, okay, so let's let's go back to the first one because I have right. questions about the second one, but the first one. So your argument is America should have kept its nose in its own box, right? And our president at the time, Woodrow Wilson, mm -hmm. ran on the fact that he was going to keep us out of that war. Yes, and won and won the election. So it's not just That's my true. opinion; it was the opinion of contemporary. No, we have the Monroe war. Doctrine. We you stay out of our right, and we stay out of yours box. We stay out of of yours. Um, uh, I think not always uh, practice, but but good in theory. <laughs> uh, uh, Britannica dot com for those of you who don't know the Monroe Doctrine. Uh, we won't go into it now, but uh, some good ideas in that particular document. Um, so. Let's rewind history and let's presuppose that uh, Woodrow Wilson uh, stayed true to his uh, convictions and we didn't enter. What might have happened? And of course, this is all speculative. Of course. First off, uh, Germany had beaten Russia at this point. Russia had withdrawn from, withdrawn from, from the battlefield uh, and had sued for a armistice with Germany. Uh, so and didn't the Bolshevik Revolution happen? Happens right after that, right in so, the midst of this. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Russia is so destabilized by 1917, the Bolsheviks are are able to take power from not from the Tsar. The Tsar had already been deposed at this point, but from a Republican government. So we always skip that little interim the, in there. The Tsar had not been killed yet, though. At that point, no, he had not been killed, but he had been deposed, and 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 he stepped down. Uh, to yes. preserve whatever little bit of peace was left in, in but, Moscow. But then they got rid of that cousin. He's gone. Yeah, because he was just, well, they were afraid they, they were going to be restored to power. Yep. The Germans were, were, were at an impasse. They hadn't, hadn't advanced in quite some time. And of course, the French on, and English on the other side. And, and when I say Germans, I mean the Germans, the Austrians, the Hungarians, yeah. the Ottoman Turks. I mean the whole, the whole alliance. The empire, as it yes. were. Yep. So they, they were at an impasse, and had we not entered, they would have had to sue for peace, or and the Germans would have been in a better position to have an equitable peace instead of being uh, made to pay war reparations. We were very much, we were much more enlightened at the end of the Second World War. <laughs> because the, of the mistakes of the First. Of the mistakes of the First World War. Yeah. So... I would argue, and this is merely my opinion uh, based on some historical fact, that if it had been a more equitable equitable peace, Germany would have been able to rebuild, which would not have led to the extreme inflation that happened in Germany. Our Great Depression is nothing compared to what happened to the Germans uh, during their uh, inflationary periods. And so, you know, mass starvation of children makes revolutionaries out of normal men. And your, your argument would be that 
our involvement was directly responsible for the not just the winning of the war, so to speak, on the Allied side, but for the way that the Axis side was treated. I, that would be my argument, yes. Okay. I don't know that they were called the Axis. Keith, could you look that up? The Germans, Austro-Hungarians. During World War One, they were not called the Axis. That was a World War II term. Uh, I'm trying to remember what they were called. Um, I don't know. But uh, I did have, I was trying to call who was president during World War One. I? I can't remember for some reason. Woodrow, Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson. Wilson. So Woodrow pre- Wilson became sick before negotiations started at the end of the war. That is, that is, that is the argument, though the American public was not aware of it at the and time. That, and, and that's a large reason why what happened happened afterwards, because he was doing most of the peace talking beforehand, and because he was not at the table post-World War One to finalize those talks... Ger- that's when Germany gets the really the raw deal because he wasn't in favor of that, but he wasn't there well, because he was theory. ill. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's what well, I learned in U.S. Had, history class. He anyways. wanted to create the League of Nations, <laughs> correct? And that's why they called it. You know, it was going to be the last war because uh, the League of Nations, which was sort of the precursor to the United Nations, uh, was going to you know take responsibility to prevent any conflict like this ever happening again. It was a bit of a failure. They were called the Central Powers of Germany. Is that what it was? Yes. Central Powers. Yes, the Central Powers. Thank okay. you. Thank that's you. A, that's um, a very so, comic book name. <laughs> well, and and it's it's a cultural alliance if you, other than the Ottoman Turk part of it, but yeah. it is a cultural alliance between the Austro-Hungarians and the Germans. And then the Ottoman Turks, of course, in, in Northern Africa and, and the Middle East are, are a power. Uh, but they're they're opposed to the British. It was really they didn't like the British and the way the British had colonized the Arab world. So, um, you know, and if you look at this war in in 2020 hindsight, I defy anyone to say who are the good guys and who are the bad bad guys. I think there's plenty of bad guys on both sides, and and there's some good guys on both sides. I, I don't agree with the Turkish methodology, but I understand not wanting a bunch of Europeans running your your neighbors. I get that. Um, so, so mistakes happen in life and in history, and sometimes we learn lessons and sometimes we don't. So let's move forward literally in time here. And, and, and I think we talk about the price of world war two. Well, hang on, hang on, because we'll get there. Um, but I want to follow this line, this track. So let's, the mistake of world war one and our involvement as you're arguing it happens. We, we sway the balance of power. And yes. and your argument is we did not learn the lesson, which is why we were then uh, again anything that's not defending our own soil. So you would also argue we should not have engaged in World War II. Yes, ah, no, you see, this is this is the tough this is the tough spot, and I have wrestled I have wrestled with this intellectually, and you know what I've done because we've had this discussion. Why do you I don't think I'm asking as, these questions? <laughs> I don't look at these as two. Di- I don't look at these as two different wars. Oh no, they're related. There's no question they're, about they're it. They're one big war. And and you know there there's there's a fine line between political uh, uh, legality uh, terminology of peace slash war uh, and the reality. I mean, World War One for the Germans never ended. No, it didn't. End. You know, and, and so and and they, and Hitler's initial. Uh, <laughs> please don't egg my house, people. Uh, the the substance that gave rise to Hitler was real. Okay, I mean, I I don't think you're you're absolutely right. What those people, and I will stand on any pedestal and say 
that there's a what you know in this country we say the government is of by and for the people we can argue the substance of that but the american government has done things that i personally refuse to take responsibility for okay and so i'm not going to hold the german people the children and so forth responsible for whatever crimes their then government may have held you know in the world war one period and so those people suffered legitimately and in ways that were not everybody's fault. And I think we, on a human level, we have to be thoughtful of that. And it is that which created the substance that led to a Hitler. Now, where he went with it, another story. Is absolutely. Well, <laughs> and I think we can make it contemporary. We know there's a, a baby formula shortage right now in the United States because of the Abbott Lab recall on, on their formula. Now, let's suppose that's a widespread problem and nobody can buy formula. And now babies who aren't nursing with their moms are starving to death. And Bring back the I, wet nurses. And I, as a politician, somehow or another, am able to bring over a whole bunch of baby formula from Europe. Mm-hmm. And all these starving people, all you got to do is line up and listen to me for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you cases of baby formula and your baby's going to live. And maybe my ideas are, are pretty unorthodox. Let's say extremely unorthodox. But you know what? I filled your kid's belly. What is my appeal to a percentage of the population? Well, not only have I filled your kid's belly, but now I'm going to tell you how we can make sure your kid never starves again. And part of my telling you how we're going to do that is to make sure you're clear about whose fault it is that they were hungry in the first That's place. Right. And I'm going to blame some legitimate targets and I'm going to blame some illegitimate targets. Let's say in this baby formula thing, I blame Canadians just for the sake of this discussion. Screw them. <laughs> right. Canadians have nothing to do with this, but I'm going to blame Canadians. You know why? Because Justin Trudeau's hair just bothers me. I don't like his hair. Of course, it's all hypothetical. I don't. I don't know Justin Trudeau. I don't. Yes. Right. Right. So, so now I blame Canadians, and you know what? They're not Amer- They're not from the U.S. So let's go get them. Let's go get now. This is ridiculous. And I make it intentionally ridiculous because I don't want anyone to mistake me. But historically, it's not far from what actually happened. It is what happened. Yeah, it is what happened. And and it was a let's let's talk about the just real brief aside, because I know we're almost out of time on this episode. (laughs) These are the best and brightest Germans there are. They were Jewish. They're the scientists. They're the bankers. They're the educators. And because they're the best and brightest, they're an even easier target because they're the 1%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now the masses hate them and they perpetrate violence. And pretty soon you have people canceling them and smashing their businesses and running them out of town. And, and it doesn't take long till you get to what actually happened. And we can't sit on our high horse and say we would never do this. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> So, and I'm not making excuses because I have a cultural and, and ethnic uh, allegiance to these people. Remember, my family did not like Nazis, does not like Nazis, couldn't stand And Nazis. ran from them. <laughs> and ran from them because they knew what they were. Into the We're arms not, of uh, this side was, of the pond. What was perceived as being a, a bastion of freedom. Yes. Let's be honest. It but was perceived I, as being You know, let's, let's go back to this argument you're making, which, again, I am not saying you're right or wrong. I just want to understand it better. That's what civil discourse is about, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. I am interested in your opening statement that unless we are defending our soil, 
we don't get involved. And I have a hard time with that black and white statement. I understand where you're coming from and the sentiment I agree with. But in practice, I think there's a lot more gray here. And one of the things that I wrote down uh, as a note to myself was, again, talking about words, the word defend, the word defense. There are a lot of different ways to defend a, a thing, an idea, a person, a space, a land. And some people would argue that the best way to defend our soil from an invader is to make sure that the invasion never happens. And in order to do that, we have to take the fight out there, so to speak, especially if we see the fight coming. Well, how's that worked out for us? Well, no, no argument, no argument. <laughs> But I, we're I mean, talking about an ideology here. And, and I, that ideology has proven time and time again to be destructive. In my it's opinion. always going to be destructive. There's it's no question. Opinion. The we question create, is, is the destruction of that going, the, the preemptive defense, is it, and, and the problem is we don't have an example in this country. We've been very fortunate other than moments of 9-11 and things like that, which were not war in the sense we're talking about. We don't have the perspective of knowing the, what the other side would have looked like had we allowed it. And that's challenging because I agree with you. I think we have stuck our nose in so many places we should not have. And the horrors that have come from it have been incalculable. But World War II is a really interesting example. Well, we had to clean up a mess we built. We made that mess. And we absolutely did. I think that's an interesting point. You're right. You're right. We made the mess. We had to clean it up. And and that doesn't make that war. I'm not saying it was just, it is justified that we made the mess. We had to clean it up. I, I struggle with the fact that we go back to 1917, 1916, 1917. That was really the decision point where we made a bad decision. Mm -hmm. But once you created that mess, it was yours to clean up. And you can and argue we, we're still cleaning it up. Oh, we are. We are. And, and by the way, we also made a mess with, we, we don't have time for this, but we made a mess in Asia as well, which led to the rise of, of the totalitarians in Japan, Tojo. And, and they consequently invade uh, Manchuria. And, and much sooner, much earlier than, than some of the other events on the other side of the globe. And so we created a mess there as well, using economic boycotts against Japan. So, and obviously I've read a lot about this, but I, we made decisions that led to these people being in power, whether we like it or not, as a nation, not you and me, we weren't alive, but you know what I'm saying? No. So I, I can't say you're right or wrong. I mean, well, you even, could even say if, I was wrong and we no, could argue that. No, because but. I don't know that you are. I just feel there's there's a lot of nuance that makes it very hard to make a blanketed statement. And even though I do agree with the the substance of of your statement, uh, you know, I, we have fought innumerable wars, conflicts, battles, bloodshed that I think if you really look at what's the influence and motivation behind them is, is highly questionable. Where I struggle is going back, again, simplifying the, the perspective. When I see my neighbor 
even if it's not a family member, even if I don't even know them. But when I see my neighbor, and for our purposes, I'm going to call every living human being on this planet my neighbor. When I see them in a position of being harmed by an invading force, okay, and, and we know what that looks like, it's awful. Turn on the news if you're wondering. Right. And I know that I'm in a position to help, maybe not even succeed, but at least be able to sleep at night knowing I tried to help. I have a hard time personally turning my back on, the, on, the, on that person, that child, that woman, that man. When I know I could have potentially saved that life or, I, I get or, or tried I get and it. failed, but at least, God damn it, I tried. The, the, the passion is there. I get it. The problem is that you're going to hurt other people's children and other people's wives. So, and, and so we don't think about the ramifications of we carpet bomb Dresden because oh, it had military targets. I'm not there. talking methodology here. <laughs> they're legitimate. They're legitimate military targets in Dresden getting bombed. Sure. We don't talk about all the other people who get killed. Methodology and, and I mean, is, is you're absolutely right. Methodology is in a whole nother conversation. I'm so, just talking ideology. And, and the, you can't separate the, the two. You're right. Is, you can't separate them. The problem with the ideology is it always results in civilian deaths. Mm -hmm. And so are the people better off fighting their own war? And, and then when we don't intervene, uh, Rwanda, what is the outcome? Cambodia, what is the outcome? But again, we created those monsters to begin with, and, and we don't have enough time to go down how we created those monsters, but we know Cambodia happens mainly oh. because of what we did in Vietnam. Absolutely. So, so I, I struggle with all of this. And so where I ended up in my life is with Thomas Aquinas, who wrote, uh, along with Augustine, wrote Just War Theory. And so I think we need to read Just War Theory and adhere to Just War Theory. I'm not saying war is always wrong every single time. And Ukrainians do have a uh, right to defend their homeland. No doubt. No doubt. And Ukraine has been picked on for hundreds of years by the Russians. Um, but they're not innocent either. They've done some really bad stuff too. So I, I think when it comes to my neighborhood, I don't think I want my neighborhood involved in that. And that's just my position. And, and I've seen some really ugly things I don't want to talk about too much. but. I love my country the way I should, but we've not always been the bad guy, uh, the good guy either. <laughs> no, <laughs> we've done some stuff that just ain't right. Um, Lieutenant Callie, Lieutenant Callie, I'm talking about you. Well, and it, 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 it doesn't justify future sufferings of our people either. No. Um, you know, and, and I, to be clear, I don't think you're saying that because Ukraine's history hasn't been sparkly clean, that they are warranting whatever suffrage is coming no, their way. I, I'm absolutely not saying that, nor do I mean to even imply it. I, yeah. I am just saying that oftentimes when we paint white hats and black hats, they're really both gray hats. One's just darker gray oh. than the other. <laughs> and, and just below the surface, that's history in a nutshell. Of course. Of course. Um, uh, very rarely do you get the extreme examples of, of Adolf Hitler or Tojo in Japan. Very rarely. Yeah. So, and, and you know, this is a deep subject and you can't do it justice in 50 minutes. And I'm sure I messed up on something. So please, please, we didn't, we don't, we've been forgetting to talk about this. How can they tell us that I'm wrong? <sighs> Well, uh, there's this thing that has been out for about, uh, what, 20 years now, 30 years? It's called email. 
and uh, I'm fairly new to it, but I think we have one for this show. We do. It's uh, called Civil Discourse TNSS, for this is not a safe space, TNSS at gmail.com. I know this is a difficult topic and a lot of people are going to come at this from different perspectives and experiences. And I, I, I think you would agree with me, Mike, that we're not here to invalidate anybody's position. Oh, no. uh, and, and this position. is such a controversial uh, issue that I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just simply talking about what I feel and why I feel the way I do. And, and it's, it's the why that's the most important to me here. I, it, it doesn't matter what your position is. It, it, to me, I'm much more interested in, and when I mean your, I don't mean yours, Mike. I mean our listeners, everybody, myself. Sure. It's, it's not that I feel this way. I want to understand what has led me to feel this way. And is it based in a genuine uh, experience that justifies that feeling with thought and consideration, not just because, well, that's how my daddy felt. <laughs> and, and you understand what I'm saying? I oh, think yeah. that happens oh, yeah. way too often. Well, I, I was raised in this household and, and this my my daddy was a Democrat. My grandfather was a Democrat and his great grand, you know, and so forth. Now, I have to understand. And, and by the way, I'll make the same argument about religion. Uh, we it, it, The only difference that I would have with a lot of people who who are devout in their faith, whatever it may be, is that I have known a lot of people who are devout in their faith simply because they were raised to be so and never question it. And I think the same thing happens in uh, in patriotism. We are politics. in politics, yep. in all of these ideologies. It, it, we, it is important that we understand why we are feeling this way and that we can justify it with substance, not just history uh, being passed down. That's not good enough anymore. No, and, and to your point, uh, the first person, if he heard this, would disagree with me, would be my own father. So well, mine too, for uh, the record. <laughs> so, so he would And by the way, be, he and I can't have this conversation about religion, at least, and as it turns out, a whole lot of other topics too. Well, my, my father, who is also a military veteran, and I cannot have this discussion regarding war. Mm. And because he sees it in a much different light since his family escaped the Nazis. So, yeah. and, and that's okay. You know what? I still love my dad and I love talking to him about other issues and, and we just agree not to talk about this issue. So, um, <laughs> and it's okay. I have told him generally though, as a rule, and he laughs every time I say it, if you've picked a side, you picked wrong. <laughs> Anyway, hey, thank you very much, Charles, for no, taking this. This, this has been great. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, and I appreciate your 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 civility and your uh, questioning nature in this particular discussion, because, you know, this is I'm probably even more passionate about this issue than I am about education. So that means a lot. Well, uh, I, yes. <laughs> so anyway, I know you have a list of folks we need to thank. Would you please share those folks? First off, thank you for doing this with me. I, I appreciate everything you do, and I appreciate you uh, being so thoughtful in this in in every episode. No, to be honest. This and every topic is an important uh, discussion and an important consideration, and I'm glad you uh, you uh, you brought it up. 
and uh, I look forward to what's next. And I don't know what that'll be. We're so, going to have to talk about that because I think uh, I have some ideas, and hopefully they won't get us as much mail as this one did. Yeah. <laughs> so, nah, I don't like your ideas. Never mind. <laughs> Sacred Heart uh, University uh, supports this show, and uh, we actually uh, tape in the studios here on the campus of Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut. So thank you to uh, SHU and their staff, the School of Communications and the Arts. Dr. Jim Castengay, uh, Keith Zedroyovi, our illustrious producer, who uh, we could not do this without, um, the Lazarus Trio, uh, and uh, Carl Groves, and Mike Koniger, uh, who has some close ties to this show, and of course, my illustrious and marvelous, magnificent, brilliant, and so on, uh, co-host, Dr. Mike Koniger. Thank you. And Tim Sweeney, God bless you wherever you are. <laughs> Have a great one, folks. See you guys next time. Surrender